0: So I want to start this morning just by asking you to to use your imagination, which for some of you will be easier than others. The creative types will love this. The non-creative types will probably hate this. But I want want you to just picture with me for a moment. Imagine that you're seven years old, okay? So for some of you, it's going to be a little bit more of a stretch than others. You're going to have to go back a little bit further. But imagine you're seven years old, and it's Christmas morning, okay? And so I, I want you to picture you're seven years old, Just take a second, close your eyes. Picture the house that you were in when you were seven. Do you remember the house? I want you to picture the pajamas that you're wearing. So, you know, for me, it was Ninja Turtle pajamas. Um, But I I want you to picture, like, what were your pajamas? Don't picture my pajamas. Picture your pajamas. Like, what would you have worn when you were seven? It's Christmas morning. And I want you to imagine you're the first one to wake up in the house, okay? And do you remember the, the joy on Christmas morning as a kid? Like, I mean, it was like you would jump out of bed with a force. Just something would launch you out of bed, right? You get out of bed and, and you run downstairs, you run into the den wherever it is and I want you to picture you 're there in your, your living room as a seven year old and you see the Christmas tree, and the only thing that 's on are the lights and so if you grew up in a classy family it 's all white lights. If you grew up in a family like my, me it 's colored blinking lights right and so <laughs> You know, just picture the tree from when you were seven years old and you see it, and it's the perfect Christmas morning. There's there's gifts all under this tree. And for whatever reason, every one of them are for you. Like there's no gifts for your siblings, no gifts for your parents. Like you don't have to endure anyone else opening gifts. And so I want you to picture yourself in this moment for a second. Seven years old, sitting down at the Christmas tree, surrounded by gifts. Do you remember being a kid when Christmas was still kind of magical and, 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 and you'd sit there and there would be kind of a, a level of gifts. There were gifts that you were excited about, you know, because as a kid, you asked for everything. You ask for like 50 different things. But there'd always be that one gift. Remember the one gift? It was like the gift that if you didn't get it, Christmas was ruined, maybe. It's like the thing that you long for, and I know that sounds so spoiled, but as seven-year-olds, we didn't care. That's how you, that's how you think and how you feel. And I want you to imagine you're there and it's like you're longing for that gift. I remember when I was seven, that gift was an, an original Nintendo, right? With Duck Hunt and I wanted Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Now, some of you don't know what a Nintendo is, <laughs> Duck Hunt or Mike Tyson, and that's okay. But that, that's, that's what I wanted. I remember like longing for that. I remember sitting there on Christmas morning and I'm like opening all the gifts and they're all amazing. But what I was longing for, what I wanted was that gift. Do you remember that feeling? You're like, is it, is it gonna come? And I was thinking that this, this morning, literally as I was driving in, as I was thinking about Ephesians chapter 1. I am saying about this moment because in so many ways, the, the whole first part of Ephesians, it feels like the Apostle Paul is, is bringing us to the foot of the Christmas tree, and he's, he's showing us all of these gifts that we now have available to us in Christ. Do you remember this last week, Aaron, look back at, uh, look at verse 3 out of Ephesians chapter 1. Aaron was teaching, and he brought us to this verse. He says, in Jesus, you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He says, in, in Christ, you've been seated down, you've been put at the uh, essentially the tree of salvation and there are blessings, there are gifts all around. And he starts talking about what it means uh, to, to receive this gift of being brought into the family of God to be adopted into the family, to be given the family secret, to be redeemed, to be forgiven, to come into this new relationship with God. And it's like Paul is sitting down with us on a Christmas morning and he's saying, look at this gift and this gift and this gift and this gift and this gift. And you're like a kid, you're just like ripping all the paper off. Man, this is amazing. But in your heart, you're going, man, there's gotta be more. And then you come to the passage that we're coming to this morning. And Paul's gonna say, out of all the gifts, out of all the blessings, there's this one that I really want to help you unwrap, because this is the blessing. This is, this is the gift that, that, that changes everything, and this morning, I, I want to talk about what I believe is the most important gift, the most beautiful gift, the most amazing gift that we receive as we start walking with Jesus, and it's a gift that so many of us never take the time to actually unwrap. It's like a kid sitting there and we have this thing that's waiting for us. And no one's ever told us, hey, come, unwrap it. But before we get to what the gift is, we've gotta do a little bit of background. In order for us to understand what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter one, you have to really understand God's father heart, the father heart of God. And if you take notes, I would encourage you to to write this down because it's gonna come back over and over as we go through the book of Ephesians. I think it's absolutely foundational to what it means to be the people of God. And that is this, that God the Father wants to be known by you. That God the Father wants to be known by you. You know, sometimes in church we spend a lot of energy talking about this reality that God knows you, which is true and beautiful. But have you ever thought about this reality that God doesn't just know you, but he wants to be known by you? That he's not some far-off father He's not the dad that is gone out of town week in and week out and you only see occasionally. He's not a God that is distant and vague. He's mysterious. Yes, he is. But he's a God that wants to be known by you. And you see this all throughout uh, the Bible. Remember the first page of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1. You get this picture of God the Father. And what is he doing with Adam and Eve? It says he is walking through the garden with Adam and Eve. Like friends strolling around the neighborhood at sunset. It's what Sydney and I did last night with our neighbors. Just went for a stroll. Just can you imagine being in that setting with God before sin entered the world? Just strolling with the Creator. And that's the picture. That's where Bible starts in Genesis chapter one. The story ends at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter twenty-one and twenty-two. Not just with God getting people out of the the, 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 the confines of hell. But the Bible ends with this great wedding banquet, this feast sitting at the table, and it says that we're sitting face-to-face with God. Face-to-face. Do you know what the future looks like for those of you that are Christians? It looks like face-to-faceness with God, wow to look into the eyes of the one that dreamt up the sunset. I mean, just your imagination can go right. It's where the Bible begins at where the Bible ends and everything in between is this cosmic love story of a God that is willing to do whatever needs to be done to undo and to fix all of the barriers that have kept his creation from knowing him. And it culminates perfectly in the story of Jesus because Jesus is the proof that God wants to be known. God said, here, I'm gonna wrap my son in flesh. I'm gonna send him among you so you can hear him, see him, touch him, watch him, investigate him for 33 years, the way he lived, the way he spoke, the way he died, the way he raised. Everything was God's dissertation on himself. That Jesus is God's dissertation on himself. How amazing is that? That in him is the fullness of God. Wow. I love what John chapter three, verse 16 says. Those of you that grow up in church know it. Those of you that have been to any football games, you've seen it. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it's become this like churchy phrase for us. But how we hear that phrase eternal life really matters. In John chapter 17, I'm just gonna flip over and read this to you real quick. Don't worry, we're getting to Ephesians, I promise. But you need this. John chapter 17, verse three. I love this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, now this is eternal life. He's praying in this passage. He's talking to God the Father. He says, this is eternal life, God, that they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one that you have sent. He says, listen, this is the mission of God. I think you could paraphrase Or summarize John 3, 16 this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but they will have everlasting friendship with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Do you realize that's what's on the table ethos? Is that Jesus is not just a cosmic janitor that cleans up the messes of your life. That Jesus is not just the one that gets you out of jail. Jesus is the one that opens up the door so you can sit face to face with your father so you can know him. What an unbelievable gift that is. And it's like Paul saying, come on, church, don't settle for watered-down, cultural, Nashville-based Christianity. He says, come on, know your father. I want you to know him. You can know God. And this is the the, the big gift, I believe, of Ephesians chapter one. This is the most beautiful thing of salvation, and I think it's what Paul is after. And it's what he begins to pray about. Look at Ephesians chapter one. This is where we're gonna be this morning, verses 15 through 23. Are you guys with me this morning, you hear? It's a little sleepy. It's a little 9 o'clockish o'clock-ish in here, okay? I want to make sure we're good. Ephesians chapter one, verse 15, he says, for this reason, talking about all the work of Christ, what Christ has done to reveal God, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus in your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, man, I love that phrase, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you may know God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. The same power as his mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet, and he appointed Jesus to be the head over everything for the church, which is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jump back to verses 17 and 18. This is where we're going to dive in this morning. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I keep praying that he will give you the spirit so you may know him better. I keep praying that he will give you the spirit so that you may know God better. And I believe this is the gift. This is the the, the gift of salvation that Paul is trying to help the people lean into. And the gift is friendship with God, knowing God. Like like being in communion with God, not just knowing about God. Like, you know there's a difference, right? You can know about someone or you can know them. I think about several years ago, one of my good friends, he and his family, they were just fanatical fans of Taylor Swift, and they, they, just, they just loved Taylor Swift. And through a a string of really random circumstances, they get invited to come be in one of her music videos. And so they get flown up and for a week, their whole family, they get to be in close proximity to Taylor Swift. And through the whole process, they actually end up becoming friends with her. I mean, just kind of this crazy story. It's like a crazy fans, perfect dream world, right? And there's this moment when when I talk to them, they go, man, It was so different. There was a season in our life where we knew everything about her. It was almost creepy. (laughs) But now we know her. Now we know her. And I go, Ethos, do we know the difference? Do we know the difference? It's one thing to know a lot about God, it's another thing to know Him. It's another thing to be in relationship, to be in friendship with him. And Paul is saying, I want you to notice this. He's saying, I'm not at all worried about your salvation. He's writing to a group of Christians here in Ephesians chapter one. He says, you've been saved. He says, but now I want you to begin savoring the one for whom you've been saved. He says, you've been saved. That's what he says in verse 13 and again in verse 15. He says, Christ has saved you from your sin. Now that your sin is out of the way and out of the picture, I want you to savor the one that's brought you into the family. He says, in order for this to happen, he says, I'm praying not for your salvation. I'm praying that God would awaken you to what is on the table for all of you that have been saved. He says, I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would enlighten the eyes of your heart. Why? So that, you can know God better. Paul says all of this is beautiful, redemption, forgiveness, it's all beautiful. He says, but do you know what's really beautiful, ethos? Is you can know God. You can know him, and here's what I'm convinced of is that in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as a favorite child. That God the Father doesn't have favorite children. It's not like he loves you more than you or you more than you. It's not that for some he's really close and for some he lets sit on the back porch. And for God the Father, he longs to be known. But it requires kids that are willing to step into that knownness. And Paul is reminding them of this because he knows it's possible to be saved and still be miserable. (laughs) Have you ever been around a miserable Christian? Have you ever been around somebody that's been saved and you're just like, man, you're kind of the worst. (laughs) No offense. (laughs) Have you ever been that person yourself? Man, goodness knows I have been. And Paul says your salvation is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is your enjoyment. I remember several years ago sitting down with a guy that's become a friend and I didn't really know him well at the time and we're we're talking about our stories and I remember he interrupted me in the middle of my story and he says, Dave, where are you enjoying Jesus right now? I thought that's such an interesting question. I've never thought of that phrase before. Enjoying Jesus. I thought of serving Jesus, loving Jesus, obeying Jesus, following Jesus but I never really thought of this phrase of enjoying Jesus, and I remember my friend just talking about all of the ways that he was enjoying Jesus, and I'm like, man, that's a guy that is learning to, to know God better. And this is what Paul is praying for. He says, I want you to have your hearts opened. You've been saved, but I want your hearts to be opened to the real gift that comes in being saved. And the real gift that comes in being saved is that you, a finite person with a checkered past, can come into close contact with the divine. That's what this is all about, wow. What an amazing promise this is. Now, uh, let's just talk about something for just a second. Because it's one thing for us to go, wow, cool, okay. Enlighten our hearts, Jesus. We wanna know you better, cool. but there are a lot of you that are sitting in here and in, in, in you're Christians, you know you're saved. And you also know that you don't know God very closely. And have you ever been in a place where someone tells you what you can have but they never tell you how to get there and it is just like so freaking frustrating. It's like, okay, I know there's more. How do I get to the more? Have you ever been there before? Or someone just like lays it out there and they never give you the answer we well, are not getting the answers this morning either. Let's go. <laughs> They're like, how do we do this? How do we do this? And I love this because I think Paul gives us some clues here. In the text, he begins to, to show us how do you begin to walk in friendship with God. And there's, there's two caveats that I want to give us before we look at these things that Paul gives us. And the first one is this, that being a friend of God's is not that complicated. It's really not very complicated but it will not come quickly or easily, okay? It's not complicated, but it will not come quickly or easily. And so there's some of you that are sitting here right now, you go, man, I'm a Christian, I've been in church my whole life. There's some of you that are not Christians and you're sitting here trying to investigate all this. And some of you, the Spirit of God this morning, he is going to illuminate this reality that you are not yet walking in friendship with God, okay? And so for some of you, that's gonna come to the surface. And I want you to hear this. Becoming friends with God is not that complicated. But it also doesn't come quickly. You can't microwave this. And so in 15 minutes, you're not going to walk out of here going, man, me and God are BFFs. Like, we've got this on lockdown. I'm going to figure it out. My goal this morning is not to microwave your intimacy with the Lord. It's to point you in a direction that if you will walk in this direction by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will walk in this direction over and over and over and over, I promise you in the name of Jesus, you will come to know God more fully. It's not that complicated, but it will not come quickly, okay? The second caveat is that friendship with God is this beautiful collision between certainty and mystery. And you have to have both to have friendship with God. That you have to live in this place of certainty that Jesus has made some promises that are true because Jesus is a truth teller. He says, whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, the doors open. Jesus makes some promises. And he says, when I speak, Jesus, when Jesus speaks, you can bet your whole life on it that it will come true. And so in the kingdom of God, we are learning to walk with some certainty together. And yet at the same time, we have to embrace the mystery. That God's timing is unusual, and God's timing is perplexing. And for some of you, this journey will take three years, and for some of you, this journey will take 30 years. For some of you, this journey will feel easy, and for some of you, it will come with stretching and testing and brokenness over and over and over and over. And it has nothing to do with how God feels about you. It's because he knows you as Father, and he does whatever it takes for each of his children to come to know him. I've got three boys, and Sydney and I love all of them equally, but we walk with them uniquely because they're different. And the journey to intimacy with God is open to all, but it is different to all. Can you shake your heads if that makes sense? And so as you begin to understand this, Paul kind of lays out a few clues here in the text of how we start living in to the knownness, how we begin to know God. In the first, you see this in verse 15, And in verse 21 through 23, kind of the first clue that you see in the text is connected to how you and I relate to God through his son, Jesus. And this is really, really important, okay? Paul says, I thank God for the faith that you have. Look at this, verse 15, in the Lord Jesus. That phrase, the Lord Jesus, is a really important, important phrase there. Later on in verse 21 through 23, he's gonna kind of unpack what lordship means, and that literally means just to be in charge. He's gonna say he raised Jesus from the dead. He seated him at the right hand of God. He's put him in charge of all things. And I want you to hear this because God says, I want you to know me. I want you to be in relationship with me, but you've gotta do it on my terms. And he says, my terms are not your goodness, not your perfection, not your righteousness, not your religion. He says, my terms are the finished work of Christ Jesus done on your behalf. He says, and it's your faith in him, not just as a savior, listen to this, but as Lord, as Lord. And this is huge. This will be very offensive to some of you. And I'm sorry if this comes across offensive, but I want to say this because I love you. The American church loves Jesus as Savior, but most of us reject him as Lord. There are many of you in this room that love Jesus as Savior, but you reject him as Lord. You want Jesus to get you out of hell. You want Jesus to get you out of brokenness. You want Jesus to get you out of sin and hardship and pain. But you're not ready for him to call the shots of your life yet. And that's what Lordship's all about. Lordship is, hey, I'm wiser than you, Dave. I'm smarter than you, Dave. I'm more loving than you, Dave. I know what your life needs to be like, Dave. And so I am going to call the shots of your life. Lordship is not just something we do upon our conversion when you get in the water and you say a prayer. No, lordship is a daily choice. Hey, Jesus, I'm gonna lay it all down at your feet. I'm gonna give you my resources, I'm gonna hand you my sexuality, I'm gonna hand you my career, I'm gonna hand you my ambitions, and everything is up for grabs as long as you're sitting on the throne, Lord. See, a lot of us don't want a Lord. We want a savior. And we deceive ourselves. You see this all the time in Christian community where we get together and we love authenticity. Let's just share our brokenness, but there's no desire for accountability and transformation. See, when Jesus is Lord, he says, hey, I meet you in your brokenness, but don't stay there, come on, let's go. Do you see this in the text, verse 15? He says, I want you to know him better. He says, and the reason you can know him better is because you're walking with Jesus as Lord. And so, kind of this first principle is is about how do you relate to Jesus? Do you relate to him as a, as a cosmic life coach, spiritual guru, or do you relate to him as the supreme leader of the universe? Very different, very different. Paul says, I want you to know God better. He says the reason you can, number one, is because you relate to Jesus as Lord. Secondly, verse 17, is about what you request. He says, so I I keep asking. He says, because you relate to Jesus as Lord, he says, I keep requesting, I keep praying over and over and over that you would receive more of the Spirit so that you can know God better. Now, this is important. We'll talk about this more in a few months when we get to Ephesians chapter five and we talk about what it means to keep being filled with the Spirit of God. But it's not a trick question. Do these Christians already have the Holy Spirit in them? And the answer is yes, because they've given their life to Jesus. But Paul's saying, I want you to walk in more of the Holy Spirit. I want you to have more of his presence in your life. And he says, "So I keep praying that you would have more of the Spirit, more of the Spirit. Why? So that you can know God better. I go, I think this is what it looks like for us to be a church. We get together in community. We get down on our knees and instead of just always praying for our food, like how many times does your food need to be prayed for? Like I I like praying for meals or how many times do we need to pray for that thing at work? What if we just got together and we said, come on, Lord, we want more of your spirit. Why? So we can know you better. We wanna know you. We wanna know you, and we're gonna, like Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, keep asking, seeking, knocking. Like a neighbor on the door at midnight. Come on, God, please. Lord, fill Ethos Church with your spirit. We want to know you better. We wanna walk in friendship with you. He says, if you wanna know the Lord, he says, it's how you relate to Jesus. It's what you request of Jesus, for more of a spirit. Number three, it's how you reflect upon Jesus. In verse 17, he says, I pray for the Spirit so that you would know him better. And the word that he uses in the original language for know is kind of this relational connectivity there. But the word that he uses for know in verse 18 is actually a different word. And it's more about what you're able to grasp with your mind. He says, I don't want you to just know Jesus on the the heart level. I don't want you to just know God the Father on the heart level. He says, I want you to really understand all of the gifts that he's put under the tree for you. And it's this picture of reflecting upon all of the blessings of sitting down every single day and opening up the word and and looking at what Christ has done for you. This is one of the reasons I think being in the word of God is so powerful every day because sometimes when you get disconnected from the word of God, all of your prayers are about you. But when you get into the word of God and you read it every day, all of a sudden you begin reflecting on what Jesus has already done. And instead of just always coming to God, just begging him for more and more and more, you go, man, God, thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for who you already are. He says it's how you relate to Jesus as Lord. It's what you request as you ask for more of his spirit. It's how you reflect upon the blessings that he's already put in your hand. And lastly, number four, it's about just opening your life to receive. You know, verse seventeen. In verse seventeen, he says, "I'm praying very boldly that God would just give you something." That in other words, there is a part of walking in friendship with God that literally is just a gift to be received. It's just a grace to be received. And I know for those of us that like to know step one, step two, step three, step four, this is a very frustrating reality. But it's what makes God God. It's that He's a dynamic, cosmic beautiful father and a part of this is just about what he's going to do okay and for some of you he'll begin doing that today for some of you he's already done it for some of you he'll do it in a month or in a year whenever it's going to be but he's going to say hey if you want to know God part of it is just about receiving now there's a guy that I've been discipling for about four years and he and I were together earlier this week and we're talking about this frustration. He just kind of hit this place in his relationship with God. He said, Dave, I know I'm saved, but I feel so distant from the Father. Have you ever been there before? Raise your hand if you've ever felt distant from God. Just raise your hand. Okay, you fit in here, okay? And I'm talking to him, and he said, I feel so distant from God. And I started asking him some of these things. I said, are you relating to him as Lord? And I'm kind of going through the, the stuff that we just talked about. And he said, I'm, he said, I'm doing a lot of that sometimes. And I looked at him and I said, I said, man, I love you. I said, I can't do this for you. I can't make you get up day in and day out and spend time in the presence of God. I can't make you surrender your sexuality. I can't make you walk in obedience to the word of God. I can't make you do any of these things. All I can do as your friend and as your older brother in the faith is I can keep illuminating the journey. And he said, I hate that. I said, I know, but it's the way the kingdom of God works. Think about one of my mentors who's in his mid-80s now. I love the way he tells his story. He became a follower of Jesus when he was 15 years old. When he was in his mid-20s, he began having a spiritual awakening. But it wasn't until he was about 39 years old, 24 years into his journey, that he says he really began to know God the Father. He said he started studying, started seeing what was on the table for him, And for every day for three years, he prayed and prayed and prayed and sought the Lord. He he did some funny things. He's like, I just want to be friends with God the Father. I just want to know God. He said for three years, it was like hitting his head against a brick wall. He tells a story of being in their neighbor's living room one evening. And he says, I don't know what it was about that evening. I don't know what it was about that place. He says, but God in his grace enlightened the eyes of my heart and I began to love and know and walk with the Father. My friend's now in his mid-80s, and he says, to this day, I have no idea why God waited 24 years to get there. I have no idea why God took three more years. He said, maybe it wasn't him, maybe it was me. He said, I don't understand it, this side of life. He says, but here's what I do know is that Jesus is a truth teller and that it was worth the wait. Ethos, it's worth the wait. It's worth going for it. And you can decide do you just want to be a casual Sunday cultural Christian forever? Or do you want to know God? I want to know God. I want to walk with God. And let's just be committed to going on the long, slow road together, however long it takes. And so here's what our response time is going to look like this morning. There's some of you here this morning, you go, man, I am, I am not a follower of Jesus, but I'm interested in that. There's going to be some men and women up here at the Respond Banner. We'd love to talk to you. There's going to be no pressure. We'd love to just hear your story, reflect with you, answer any questions you have. We'd love to do that here in a moment. There's going to be some of you here that are followers of Jesus, and you know that your heart, you know your heart has not yet been enlightened, opened up to the fullness of the relationship with God the Father. And you go, man, I just want to know God better. And here's what I want to tell you. Ethos, there is no stigma in receiving prayer. And so what I would love to do for you today is what Paul is doing for this young church. I'd love for you during our communion time and our worship time, if you want your heart to be opened up to more of who God is, there'll be some men and women over here. We'd love to just lay our hands on you in a very appropriate way, put our hands on your shoulder and just pray that God will do what only God could do. And we're gonna have the full expectations of Christ and that, that is he'll answer his promise when and how he wants to do it. For some of you, that'll be immediate. And for some of you, it may feel like a journey and that's okay. But we love to pray over you. And then kind of finally, there's some of you here that, man, you know God and, 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 you, f- and you feel in step with him, but you have friends and family members that don't know him yet. Uh, on all the communion tables, there's these index cards and pens. I wanna encourage you to write down the names or the initials of your friends and family members that need their hearts to be opened up to the beauty of who God is and write them down. And on each of the communion tables, there's a red basket. You can just drop those names in there at any point today. Every Sunday night, we have a group of people that get together at 7 p.m., and we just pray for people who need their hearts to be open to God. And it is amazing what God does every year, how He is the one that enlightens the heart to the realness of Jesus. So I wanna encourage you. uh, If you have 10 friends, grab 10 cards. Uh, Take as many as you need. Write them down, drop them in the baskets, and we will commit to praying with you for them as long as we need to do that. Sound cool? That's what we're going to do. So let's stand together. Let me pray over us. And then we're just going to spend some time in prayer, worship, and communion, asking God to open us up to who he is. Father, I love you, and I thank you that you want to be known. I thank you that you are such an amazing God, and that you've come so far, that Christ, you have uh, overturned every barrier. You've done everything that needs to be done, and that Holy Spirit, you're here among us. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the glory of your Father, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so we can know you better. That's it. Would you enlighten the eyes of our heart? Holy Spirit, right now, would you begin touching people's lives? Would you begin opening people's hearts? Jesus, would you begin ministering to this room? Father, would you begin showing us how good and amazing you are? It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.